Welcome to episode 39 of the Photo 39. Show. 39! That's sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photography, Video, and Related Media Department, chaired by Charles Traub. And this was our uh, second episode recorded at the Big Room, and we're very grateful for that. So besides being super stoked about episode 39, what's going on, Kai? Oh, well, you know, it's uh, winter here and uh, we're all huddled inside, although it was sunny and beautiful. And I did get out and photograph a little bit today, uh, but it was cold. And, um, you know, t- time marches on. We, you, know, you and I are both into our semesters now. And uh, uh, just when we get used to our uh, graduate students, we've got uh, graduate admissions this Friday coming up, which is kind of crazy. So we'll be uh, looking through portfolios of people applied to the Columbia MFA program, uh, the committee will. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, we'll be, we'll be moving on. I do want to mention um, this year we've got one of our students who went through our six-week summer intensive, uh, uh, Kati Bestard-Rogers, in the program. And uh, that's a great program. If people are interested and maybe not sure about graduate school or yet, that's something to look into, our six-week summer intensive. So oh, that's my yeah. plug. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, whenever I visit and I, I run into some of your former summer intensive students, I, they, they have an amazing time uh, at that program. Yeah, it's, or uh, Tom and I are thrilled about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shows that are up, um, we were, you and I were at the opening for the current show called Photo 2 at Transmitter Gallery um, that has Eli Durst, uh, Lindsay Metivier, I think is her name, Aaron O'Keefe, and uh, a friend of mine, of co- uh, Irina Rozovsky, is also in that show. And that's up through February 12th uh, here in Bushwick, if you uh, find your way out this way. Uh, another show put together by Carl Gunhouse. Yeah, you know, and we're, we spoke to Irina, and we're hoping to do a swing up through New England uh, to do some recordings. That's right. we got to just uh, rent a bus and paint it. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right, and just paint our faces over it. There you go. <laughs> It's a done deal. Right. Uh, what about yeah. you? Do you have anything for us to, to know about? Well, we had a lovely recording with Jeffrey Berlina at the Penumbra Foundation. And, you know, that, of course, people know by now, uh, we record and it's not for uh, a bunch of weeks before that episode comes out. Uh, but in the meantime, um, Jeffrey wanted us to let you know that they're having an auction uh, on Paddle 8. And if you go to penumbrafoundation.org, Right, I think it's right at the top of the page. You can click on the benefit auction, and they are auctioning off uh, photographs and books, and that closes on January 31st, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So yeah, get in there. Right up. Yeah, get in there and make a bid. Yeah, and uh, if you don't know who Penumbra Foundation is, you'll find out when you listen to the podcast, <laughs> but if you go to their website, you'll see that they're, they're doing a lot of amazing things with... Uh, uh, contemporary and historical photographic practices. And they've, I mean, they're just trying to do a lot of things. So they've got uh, a real, um, they've got this uh, mandate to try to, you know, spread the word of photography in all different forms. And it's uh, a great place to to know about and to get involved with. And they have a, a wonderful uh, artist lecture series coming up this semester that you might also want to check out on their website. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we were given a tour and it's 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 an amazing place with beautiful studios and a camera repair shop in the basement and they they just offer all kinds of services. It's just a fantastic place. Absolutely. All right, well I'm I'm looking forward to hearing this conversation that we had with uh Lucas Thorpe and Libby Pratt 
They both were associated with uh, the Camera Club of New York. I, I think Lucas still is, but he's also branched off and done other things. And he's also going to talk about an interesting uh, master's program that is at uh, Fordham University. And this is one of, we have several episodes now that are about these uh, foundations and not-for-profit spaces that are related to the arts and, of course, to photography wherever possible. And uh, we just mentioned Penumbra and, of course, Baxter Street Camera Club of New York. Uh, Libby Pratt's the executive director, I believe is her official title. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lucas was on the board there. And he's got a number of ideas for helping out with people interested in doing nonprofit things in the arts, specifically for photography as well. So yeah, uh, it's an interesting conversation. I think uh, it was partially sponsored by something else that you attended, that, right? Well, this was a, uh, a precursor, like a warm-up to a panel that Lucas was hosting on nonprofits and the arts. And Libby Pratt was uh, one of the panel members. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this conversation we have, it's, it's a little bit of, of that panel discussion. Uh, but it's also a lot about who Lucas and Libby are and how they got to where they are. And it's, it's an interesting story. And it was a great conversation. Yeah. And uh, since we're mentioning things, there's also an exhibition up that uh, the Camera Club of New York right now at the Baxter Street space where um, that kind of dovetailed in with our last episode with our conversation with Jeffrey Henson Scales. And uh, it's an artist whose father was uh, yeah, I don't have the entire story, but his fa her father was. Uh, a member or at least went to some meetings of the Black Panthers and how the FBI just uh, went after him to basically get him fired from his job as a uh, postal worker. Yeah, it's called and, Do uh, Not Destroy Sadie Barnett, curated by Alexandra Ginninger, uh, I think is yeah. how you pronounce it. So if you're down there near Chinatown, go check that out, too. All right. Well, let's start the show. And thanks again to SVA's MFA photo, video and related media program run by Charles Traub. Enjoy the show and we'll talk soon. With Lucas Thorpe and Libby Pratt, and I, I just want to say that because there, is, there will be more than one guest speaking, but uh, unlike other episodes, it won't be as difficult to tell you apart. <laughs> True enough, right? That's right. <laughs> so, uh, Lucas, you have a. We're here at um, the School of Visual Arts, what they now call the Big Room, and it's official because there's a sign on the wall. That's right. Right? <laughs> it's oh, over there. It. Yeah, it's way over there. Ah, I just noticed it. Okay. Yeah, this time they've got the the uh, blinds up so people can stop and gawk at us as we record this podcast, which would be nice. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get an audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But Lucas, you have a, a sort of a long time connection to the School of Visual Arts. So I've worked at the school for about 11 years right now. And uh, I started off working at BFA Photography, Stephen Fairley's department. Oh, yeah. And uh, I started working as a, I guess, a studio assistant working in the cage. And um, then from there, I was a repair and maintenance coordinator, and then was a studio manager for a year. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and we just learned earlier that you're responsible for changing the name from the cage to the hub or hub. That, that's that's correct. That was yeah. my suggestion, <laughs> yeah. which I didn't think was going to last, uh, but it still seems to be sticking. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I thought uh, there was a kind of a powwow between everyone who was working there, and we we wanted to change it a little bit. So, yeah, I worked that. in I worked in when it was the the cage for four years uh, under John DeLuca, who 
is he still a, a, affiliated with the college? Do you know? He is. His he's actually retiring. I don't know. I guess it's okay to say this. He's told everyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, on December twenty first, and John actually hired me, um, mm-hmm. and so he uh, he after BFA photography became the director of uh, health and uh, safety at the school, hmm. and uh, also working with facilities. So, and then. Uh, you recently went back for a third degree, right? That's correct. And that's a nonprofit management? Nor- correct. I actually, um, while I, it was the reason why I started working at SVA, I had heard that if you work at SVA full time, you can get a, uh, a degree and they waive the tuition. <laughs> so, And I was very excited and interested in the program here at MFA Photo. So I'm actually also a graduate from MFA Photo here as well in 2008. Um, but I recently just finished a degree through Fordham University, mm. and that's a nonprofit and leadership degree. It's through their uh, School of Social Service and their business school. And I just finished that last August, like a one-year program. Great. Is that in uh, in the 70s there? Or what? I was Lincoln Center? Lincoln or? Center. Yeah, okay. yeah, Lincoln Center. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't have to go all the way up to the Bronx. Yeah. I live in Brooklyn, so it's kind of, <laughs> that would have been a far commute. Yeah. <laughs> So then, what what was the um, sort of the connection? What, what was your interest in nonprofit management? I guess why did you go for a degree in nonprofit management? Uh, I, I think it goes back to when I had just finished at MFA Photo here. Um, I'd been a year out, and Alan Frame, who was the uh, president board president of uh, Camera Club New York, um, he asked me if I'd be interested in joining the board with them. Uh, which I didn't really know too much about that. And so I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. And uh, I went, you know, visited the old location up on 33rd Street and uh, met and looked at the space, fell in love with it right away, was very interested in everything they were doing and and joined the board. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, And uh, I had to leave just for... I had another job and all sorts of things, kids. Um, but I was really interested, continued to volunteer. But when I was there for two years, I really learned a little bit about what it takes to run like an arts nonprofit. And I found that really interesting. Uh, and I wanted to kind of continue that. And I was really interested, not just like in the programming, but like also how you run them, how the board runs them, uh, the management, all the different ways that you have to kind of support an organization like that. Um, so I was at a barbecue a couple years afterwards and I was talking to someone who was on the faculty at, uh, Fordham and, uh, I told them what I did and what I was interested in and she was like, oh, you should go to this program I teach at. And that was the Fordham program. Uh, and so it just kind of snowballed from there. So, well, that's a great segue to get Libby into the conversation, right? So, uh, you're currently at Camera Club of New York and working at the new location, right, Baxter Street? Yeah, that's correct. So we were um, in the Garment District until 2014, mm. and we moved in November. We opened the new space in November 2014 with a show by Fruit Frudendal, who actually has been involved in the organization for a long time. And we are now on Baxter Street in Chinatown. Mm. And so we did a sort of um, rethinking of the organization when we did this move. There were a lot of things that were coming to fruition at this time that led us to move 
to Baxter Street. And so one of the things that we um, that we were thinking about was how what was this new chapter for the organization? And part of that was as simple as calling the new space Baxter Street at the Camera Club of New York. So it is our only location, um, but we now refer to it generally just Baxter Street or Baxter Street at CCNY. Yeah, that's, uh, sorry to cut you off, Michael, but that's interesting, that decision, because it, I think it really worked, right? It resonated in a way. I don't know. I mean, I, people talked about the Camera Club of New York. Of course, it's this important institution that's been around for a long time, but maybe younger photographers didn't bring it up as much, but I've, mm-hmm. I've, heard, the, I've heard Baxter Street, Baxter Street, Baxter Street. I've heard it so many times since 2014. It, it uh, even um, this week, a uh, young street photographer who just comes by Columbia to, to see Tom and I, Tom Rome and I, he said, oh, do you know about Baxter Street? There's, you know, this <laughs> thing's coming up. I'm applying for the city. Baxter was like, yes, of course, you know, you know, Camel Club of New York, you know. Um, but that that idea of like a rebranding at the time of the move, not just uh-huh. moving and like relocating, but this rebranding of, of it as Baxter Street has really been effective, right? Yeah, I think it's been effective. I actually joined right when we moved into the new space. I started working as a director there. Mm. So I don't really have a lot of experience when we were in the old space on 37th Street, actually. But from what I've seen, there has been a lot more... I mean, even in the last two years, there's been a lot more sort of coverage of the organization, Mm. of the shows that we've been doing. It's just been steadily growing since, um, since 2014, which is really exciting for yeah. us. I think it's something about having a storefront, like a street level storefront space too, that invites people to be aware of what's going on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think we get a lot more walk-in traffic than because at the other space we were on the second floor Yeah, and it was really more of a um, business sort of district, I think. And yeah. now, you know, where we are, There are a lot of businesses, but it feels like a neighborhood, you know, and I see the same people all the time. I know everyone on the block. They Mm. all know us. And, you know, it's kind of great. We, you know, across the street is OZP's, this French Malaysian restaurant. Everyone goes there after the openings. There's a massage parlor right next door. (laughs) They do great massages. There's a coffee shop that makes the best sponge cake, camping coffee shop. So there's a lot of amenities just on Baxter Street, which is between Canal and Hester, if anyone's wondering where we're located. Right. And and we'll link to the site and everything else when we we, uh, publish the episode. But, I mean, the Camera Club of New York has an incredibly important history in photography. Right. I mean, it's been around... Uh, since eight, 1884. 1884, yeah. <laughs> uh, almost 133 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when, when you first, in, in history of photography, when you first learn about it, you learn about it through uh, Alfred Stieglitz's uh, parting of the ways, right, and to form the photo secessionists and, and all that. And But do you think maybe it was because of that very sort of long history that maybe there was a, almost a... Uh, a need to say, hey, we're still here and we're, we're, we're doing new and different things? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, in the past, you know, 20, 25 years, we were really, you know, sustained by our membership. And the dark rooms were a huge part of, of the organization for many, many years. 
And in the last 20 to 25 years, and I, I know Lucas can chime in too with this historical shift at the Camera Club of New York because you were there, you know, before I was. We started talking about the move. I mean, it was in discussion three, four years before that. Um, so Yeah, and, you know, the membership had significantly dropped of people who were using the dark rooms and... Right. Um, so we were in a very large space. It was 12,000 square feet to be able to have both a color and black and white darkroom. There was also a shooting studio and an exhibition space as well. And we just couldn't sustain that with the number, with the drop in membership. In the rise in real estate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that was part of what um, precipitated our move. and. We also, I mean, I think at the time, the organization was shifting, too. We had a new residency program that started in 2008. So we invite, you know, there are four residents who are chosen a year to have access to workspace, digital labs, and dark rooms. And um, the exhibitions were getting a lot of attention in the old space as well. And so all of these things sort of coalesce to move us out of the old space and into the new space and really sort of rethink what the organization, the role of the organization in um, in the art community needed to be or could be. Yeah, I think there's a, just a shift in the programming and there's a real decision by the board and, and multiple, because there's, you know, I think when you're on the board at the Camera Club and, and some of the other organizations or Baxter Street, um, <laughs> it's a two-year. So you're on for two years, and then you either stay on or, you know, sometimes people leave. You know, they have other things in their lives that take, take over. Um, so there was a lot of different people coming through and really working together um, to kind of decide the future of the next step. Um, you know, there's a whole new sort of group so, somewhat uh, at Baxter Street now. Um, there's, I mean, there's a few board members like Karen, right, Rosen? Rosenblatt. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, Alan Frame. Um, but there was a real conscious decision to kind of change and to, to go in another direction. You know, I, when I was on the board, I was <clears throat> working on the uh, lecture series. And I remember reaching out to people to talk and, and be on them. And, and you know, they, I'd tell them, oh, this is the Camera Club of New York, and they'd heard of it, and, and uh, you know, some people you'd talk to, they would be like, isn't that sort of like a club sort of where there's lots of... Because it's in the name. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's, it's more of like uh, somewhat of a conservative rep uh, reputation. And, uh, you know, I, I think there was maybe a conscious shift to move from that. And, and also that had a lot to do with the, a lot of the older members, from what I understand, who were, you know not renewing their memberships, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we wanted to sort of move away from this idea of it being like a hobbyist club. And I still actually, even today, I get a lot of emails from people saying, oh, we're going to go do a, you know, a photo tour in Bangladesh. Please invite your members. Mm -hmm. You know, that, oh, yeah. that type of stuff. Um, but there was a real conscious decision to move away from this idea of it being a hobbyist club because what we do is really not really not that actually no you know it's <laughs> no, you know right. the mission is to support emerging lens-based artists so we also thought about how photography is in this expanded field and the different ways that people are making work and using photography that extends beyond just you know a camera club really right. 
And also part of the move was to partner up with ICP. Is that correct? Or is that is that true? Or that's what I thought I heard. Well, we yeah, we do. For a dark room space. And, yeah, so we... Um, that's one of those gotcha questions that Kai's been holding on. I, that was my understanding was part of getting that, like, oh, uh, we still need to have access to dark rooms. And right. so there's like a relationship with ICP or... Yeah, yeah. It was really important that we maintained workspace access for our members. Yeah. And so um, we partnered with, or we partner with ICP for our members to use the dark rooms, the color and black and white dark rooms. And they have phenomenal facilities and yeah. everyone loves working there. And then our residents actually, our workspace residents, so those four people who are chosen each year, they have access to the dark rooms as well as ICP's digital labs and their shooting studio. Oh, amazing. So we, you know, they have so many students, they can't allow us to have access to the digital labs for our our general membership, but for the residents, the workspace residents, they do. So yeah, it's been a really great relationship for us. And it's terrific, I think, for ICP as well, because they have these great facilities, but they don't have, they, they've never had a program where they can work, the community can use those dark mm. rooms. So mm. you had to either be a student, or a, a TA, TA right. or a teacher to be able to use the the facilities and so they just weren't getting as much use until they partnered with us oh, incredible so it worked both ways it was beneficial yeah 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 and, and lucas maybe you can speak to this idea i was just reading um there's an art news art news art net again i always forget which web i was reading an article about how uh what's happening with you know the real estate in, in manhattan and how even all of these middle middle range galleries are partnering up of course or partnering up and then as their leases run out getting kicked out and so on the nonprofit side you know there's got to be this imaginative ways of thinking of how do we you know in if we're not in kentucky or something where we can get space for free or cheap how do we keep doors open? How do we keep interest? How do we make partnerships and alliances to, you know, bring like-minded people together and keep this going? Is that something that they, that you like discussed when you're in this program at Fordham or? Right. So when I was at the program at Fordham, I mean, my interest was in the arts and photography, but the program is really focused. I mean, they incorporate that, but it's much more focused on, you know, social service agencies, um, all sorts of different types of nonprofits, which was very interesting for me just learning about that but they are very big on partnerships that the kind that you know icp and and baxter street are doing um and it's for those reasons you know that for real estate facilities basically overhead that's mm -hmm. sort of one of the biggest expenditures for nonprofits and a lot of times when you receive types of funding from grants and you know specialized income that comes in it's going to be earmarked for, it has to go towards programming. It can't go towards overhead, right? right. So that's a big problem. Um, and so, you know, the situation at ICP and, and Baxter Street, it kind of helps because uh, Baxter Street could reduce their footprint. It's was getting, you know, I mean, it was getting very difficult to operate a color processor and, and all that with the amount of rent they're having to pay in the space. Libby, correct me if I'm, because, you know, I'm not as connected to the organization as, you know, Libby is now. So please step in if I'm, you know, <laughs> characterizing it wrong. Just yell wrong really loud. Wrong, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it actually is a really kind of ingenious way to, like, 
continue the membership and also, you know, have that part where you can go and make work as being a member, not necessarily through a residency, um, and to you know, even expand it and also helping ICP on, on their end as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we still maintain digital scanning facilities at Baxter Street. So sometimes we have members who just come in and scan. We have an Imacon scanner, and sometimes our residents use them as well, the workspace residents. So we do have people working in the space as well, but the majority of people are working at ICP for the dark rooms. And yeah, it's been, I mean, it was a lifesaver. You know, it was really wonderful for us to be able to partner with ICP because our rent in our new space is significantly lower than it was in the old space. And part of our, you know, our agreement with our landlord, they really like having us there. And so they've sort of given us a, you know, a great deal on the location. And we have a backyard, which is really exciting mm. for us too, you know, indoor outdoor space. They like you because it's it's kind of a low impact operation, right? It's not food, it's not mm-hmm. um, manufacturing, it's not, it's, it's that part of it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we just have had good relationships with them from the beginning and we don't make a lot of noise. <laughs> We, you know, we do have openings and we have people in the backyard or out front sometimes, but it also like helps the, you know, the neighborhood because then everyone goes and visits these businesses like on the street or in the area. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, not to devolve into a whole conversation about uh, real estate and gentrification, but of course, landlords love it when cultural institutions move in too, because it's part of like a rejuvenation of a neighborhood gets people coming in and thinking about it in a different way. Uh, You know, look what happened, you know, in Dumbo, you know, it's like basically they, they gave all these spaces to nonprofits and performance groups and all this stuff for a number of years. And then, you know, everyone starts thinking about Dumbo as this flourishing area. And then all of a sudden it all gets replaced by, uh, you know, high-end condos and all those uh, not-for-profits get kicked out, right? So there's a bit of a vicious cycle, hopefully, that Baxter (laughs) Street won't be part of as well. But that's part of the complicated uh, way that these things happen in the city, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember the number of places that the Camera Club of New York as an institution has been occupied. occupied. And I'm not sure if they're, I I think at the New York Public Library, they have a record. Mm. The the New York Public Library holds our archives. Oh, yeah. And they also have a really great database um, that just sort of, I think, you know, in the last year or two. Yeah, it came online. It came online. Yeah, and so they have a number of the locations that we've been listed at, but I think there's some foggy history somewhere maybe in the 30s or something like that of (laughs) where we were. So, um, but we, you know, we've moved to a number of different places. I I talk to a lot of people still who remember when we were in Union Square. Wow, yeah. That's nice. Well, we, we did an episode uh, with um, the folks over at Pen and Brush. I don't know if you know them. They're in the Flatiron District, but they used to have own a building downtown that was, I think, in the 1920s. Uh, now I'm going to get that wrong. We'll edit it they're later. also in the 100-year range of... Yeah, they've yes. been around for a long time. But mm-hmm. so they, yeah. their members had bought this brownstone downtown, and they had, you know, they're, they're having difficulty having events there because it was getting noisier and everything else, and they had no air conditioning. It had been around. But they were able to sell the building and then buy and renovate this amazing space in the Flatiron District. So sometimes it 
it can go both ways, right? Yeah, I think especially in this neighborhood, there's a number of nonprofits, agencies, you know, social services that are, have property, um, and and some of them are selling them, you know, and that'll go into their endowment. But yeah, they've it's just. It's, it's a win for them because, you know, again, they can bring in funds into their organization. And a lot of them, I think, are moving further out like into Brooklyn or different parts of the city. But especially I know in this area, there's uh, around SVA, uh, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, they're selling off. Well, you're, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Lucas, you're going to be uh, hosting a panel discussion here in the big room uh, uh, next week. And, of course, this episode will be will come out after that, but we'll we'll talk about it uh, at a introduction of another episode. What um and Libby, you're a part of that panel discussion as well, yes. right? And so your the idea is, uh, what is the role of the the nonprofit right in in these cultural institutions and and the art world and all? And so so uh, give us a little preview of that. What is? I mean, I think it's such a big uh, topic and there's so many different types. I mean, just within the art sort of nonprofits, I mean, you have museums and performance spaces. So I I tried to narrow it down a little bit within the visual arts uh, and photography, you know, lens-based practice. Um, So it's going to be on Tuesday uh, next week, 6.30. It's going to be where we are right now. Uh, And I just wanted to have sort of a talk, very informal, um, of inviting the directors and, and some founders um, and people who work at some nonprofits for the arts. So Libby Pratt, director of Baxter Street, will be there. Uh, Michael Camber, who is the founder and executive director for the Bronx Documentary Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, um, a s- associate director for media at Brick in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, who's going to be there as well. S- uh, Sarah Copran, who is a director for business services at NIFA. So what they do is they provide sort of like professional um, practice uh, support for um, artists, for projects, and also for um, nonprofits. And then also we have uh, Eve Biddle, who is with the Wasaic Project. Do you know about the Wasaic Project? Mm-hmm. So they're based in uh, Wasaic, New York, and um, it's a group of, there's three founders who got together, and they uh, were able to put in art programming at an old mill in this town. Mm-hmm. And so they do residency, they do festivals, they do all sorts of different things, and they really work with the local community. If you ever have a chance to go up there, it's an amazing, amazing yeah, place. Great. Yeah, And in terms of the conversation you're looking for, uh, what are you sort of uh, expecting? So, you know, it's kind of like... So now Libby, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, I, what I'm hoping for is that you're going to have a group of people who work in nonprofits can talk among themselves. I think sometimes people who work in nonprofits, uh, sometimes they're in a little bit competition with each other for funds, sure. for grants. <laughs> um, they apply to the same places. You know, they kind of go f- for the same resources. Um, and so maybe that cuts down on communicating sometimes. I don't, you know, that's what I've heard. So it's an opportunity for a group of people who work for nonprofits to talk together and to talk about the things that they do and the, how they support the artist community and the challenges they kind of face, um, both for fundraising and, and also just for rent and, and, you know, paying for things and equipment. And then the other idea is to have talks so for students, and that's why it's great to be at the school, so for students, you know, coming out of school, when they lose access to 
um, dark rooms and, and a place to talk with other people. I mean, you always have your network when you graduate from the school, but to kind of keep that going and to push that out, a lot of times for, I think, young emerging artists, it's really going to be like a nonprofit. And it's going to be a place where you can join into a community right away. You have a resource to make work. Um, and I think that's really important, and especially in New York City right now. Um, you know, it's very tough on the commercial side. There's very little support on the public government side. And I think nonprofits, they have a really critical um, area for uh, artists and for art making. So. All right. And of course, operating as a nonprofit does open you up to certain types of grants and funding that you can't do as a for-profit organization. But it also has a kind of underlying premise that you're there for the client, you're there for the the work, you know, you're there, you're, you have a mission that isn't focused solely on keeping the business alive. I wonder if, if having, you know, all these organizations uh, competing for those similar funds and things like that, if, if that can lead to sort of losing focus on the mission when you do have to spend all that time, you know, raising funds and things like that. And, you know, is there a then built-in market competition among nonprofits? Do you want to ask that first, Libby, or...? Yeah, I guess. Well, I was just thinking, you know, part, I think part of the reason why sometimes nonprofits don't, you know, aren't in great communication is that oftentimes there's so much to do. And part of it, you know, so you just Being almost busy. feel like, yeah, you're really busy. You don't have time to sometimes make those connections per se. But, and a lot of that, as you mentioned, really does go into fundraising because, we, you know, all the grants that we get from NISCA, the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, the Jerome Foundation, all of that money goes directly to the artists. So mm. we um, were actually working on our wage certification. Um, I don't know if you guys know wage. It's uh, stands for Working Artists for the Greater Economy. <laughs> and it's a really great organization. It's like, almost sounds like a WPA kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's really excellent because it's, it's getting these different nonprofits and museums as well to get their certification so that they, they're really paying artists for their work, their mm. creative work. So, you know, we do spend, we spend a lot of time fundraising because all of this grant money goes directly to the artists. So we need to f- make that up with, you know, how do we pay our rent? How do we pay for the lights? <laughs> yeah. How do we pay me? You know, all, <laughs> yeah, all sure. of these things are really important. Yeah. So... I, I don't, you know, it's sort of an interesting balance. I, I sh- I've been meaning to for a long time, like really trying to document how much time I spend with each of the different things that we're doing to get a, a sense of like how much goes to fundraising, how much goes towards our exhibitions, working with our members and that kind of stuff. But I think there's always a very delicate balance trying to accomplish everything as, you know, and also um, accomplish it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Accomplishing, accomplishing it well is important because that's when you mentioned when we talked earlier about this idea of the camera club as a institution, which those were spread all over the country, right? There were camera clubs everywhere, like I'm sure there were for other forms of visual art. And when there's a sense that an institution is running just like a club or just for like the people who are members to, to you know, have a place to go and hang out and have a good time and drink coffee or whatever, then it seems less relevant to culturally relevant mm-hmm. and uh, the 
the places that distinguish themselves are, you know, places like uh, what the programming that's going on at Baxter Street, where you are and you are engaging with the public and you're putting on exhibitions by, you know, it's not just, oh, here's our next member show and, you know, like 12, right. 12 pictures from, you know, X number of members that you are trying to expand beyond the reach of you're trying to engage with photography and photographers in New York City and beyond and bring things together. I mean, one of the first uh, events I went to there was um, a lecture down downstairs in the basement for uh, Rona Yefman brought her, had her former teacher. I just Eagle Shemtov. Yeah, down mm-hmm. there after his show was upstairs and it was that was something you're not going to run into anywhere else, right? It's like you're offering unique programming and therefore it makes sense that there would be funding and things to keep that going. But you, you, the only way to yeah. do that is to be ambitious with with what you want to do. Right? Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point, too. You know, we actually don't show our members work. And and the reason for that is because we get all of this funding from these outside um, institutions like NISCA and the Department of Cultural Affairs. If we were to show our members' work, it would be seen as self-promotional. Mm. And so that's why all of the programming really is, you know, other artists who are not actually members of Baxter Street. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> so there might be people like, wait a minute, <laughs> I was just about to join. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like, it's, a, it's an incredibly great supportive community. And there is support for people showing their work at other venues and right. things like that. And, and you have this fantastic benefit auction that I was just at at, at Affirmation Arts, uh, which does show uh, it is a mix of member work and guest work and, and right. donated work. And if, it's actually a great way to see the range of what this, this institution is interested in. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I was talking to... Um, Michael Allen and Dennis Santella who work at Affirmation Arts and so they see like you know CPW's auction they see all of these different auctions and they said it's really interesting to see how diverse um, the auctions are and what type of work is being shown. So yeah the auction is a really terrific way to see sort of a broader range. Um, We also do you know we do book signing sometimes with our members so it's you know there is a membership sort of presence component, yeah, yeah. component for sure yeah. but doing shows of their works we're not we're really not allowed to actually do that so unfortunately <laughs> it, it probably does turn some people who are potential members away but we can't really but do anything about that it, so it's it's a false expectation it's, i mean it's maybe it's a it's the wrong expectation right you don't you don't you don't join and, and then say well I, now i get a show right i mean it's you don't pay, it's like paying you to have a show Right, right. And we have, you know, we have, we have a new art advisory committee um, that we're really excited about that is part of our sort of, you know, they help us with our exhibitions committee, choosing shows. We have a guest curated exhibition program where people apply to have a show. That's what Rona Yefman did. She applied to do this show with Eagle Shemtov. Mm. Um, and the current show we have up now is a guest curated exhibition curated by William Corwin of work by Conrad Ventura. So we have this new art advisory committee, which we're excited about. Yeah. Sarah Vanderbeek, Andriana Campbell. It's a, it's a mix between artists and curators and critics. David Deacher, Pradeep Dalal, and Justine Curlin are our new art advisory mm. members. Right. So if there's a, a selling point, it's, it's the network, it's the exposure, it's the community. Right, right. Yeah. I think also with memberships, sometimes, uh, and I've been thinking about this lately, 
it's good to maybe become a member and you don't have to become like a member paying like the highest fee. You could pay like a low fee and then you could maybe not go to everything, but maybe go to a couple of lectures, do other things. But it's also about supporting like that community and that organization. That's, I think, the real shift. That's what you're really doing. It's not about so much what this other organization is doing for me, but what can I do to help it thrive and to grow and to keep it going? And that's also, I think, what I want to you know, touch on on the talk on Tuesday as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, Lucas is one of our support members. <laughs> <laughs> we have workspace members who use facilities, and then we also have support members. And oh, not, now that's why you have the tote bag. Now I understand. That's right. And I, I don't get down to as many things as I'd like to at Baxter Street, and I feel a little guilty about it. Uh, the community, obviously, being a big part of it, I was thinking about um, how many, how much, if you look at the history of photography and the history of photography in New York, how much uh, these types of between the camera club and the um, the one that uh, Helen Levitt was a member of. Uh, anyways, but like Helen Levitt meets Walker Evans because she goes, she's like at this thing. And then from there, like all this stuff happens. Like, so it's unpredictable. You don't know what, what you might stumble upon or come in, but that's what these kind of community events are for. Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. You can go to, you know, on a Thursday night, you can go to a bunch of openings in Chelsea or the Lower East Side and maybe you run into the same people and you start having conversations, but it's very, that's a very different atmosphere than going to uh, a talk that is somewhat specialized. I mean, like the people that show up to a talk at Baxter street are genuinely, you know, it's, they're interested in such a specific thing that Mm -hmm. you look around the room and you imagine that everyone there, you have something in common with or common cause to to have a conversation with about everything, right? Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that I really love about Baxter street is that we are a small and intimate community, even though, you know, New York is huge, but we are small. And I think the board and, you know, Lucas was on the board for a number of years too. We have an artist run board. So everyone on the board is an artist as well. And it's a working board too. So they are, you know, I could never do all of the work by myself. And I have some fabulous interns basically all the time helping Mm. me, but the board is super active Mm. And they come to things, you know, the board is often at the openings. And so there's really a, a sense of community and continuity through um, through these different events um, or at these events and yeah. within within the organization and community. I don't think I've ever gone there without saying Alan. Alan Frame is like... Alan's there a lot. Michi, yeah. Michi Jagarjian's our current board president. She's there a lot. Um, Daniel Handel, our vice president. Lorraine Gracie, also our board secretary. I think she's been on the board for about 14 years. So oh. there's a lot of, you know, they're very involved. And um, it's a tremendous support for me to have them as, as the board. Now, uh, the two of you are actually artists in your own right as well. And you've had careers in the arts and you still do. Lucas, do you still consider yourself active and, and making work? And uh, I definitely, you know, try to balance it all out with, you know, taking, making photographs and, and working in that. And, and uh, you know, I, I have a f- 
full-time day job at SVA. <laughs> so I do that. And then I would say going to school last year, that kind of cut back a little bit, but I'm kind of getting back into it. Um, so, I, you know, I've shown in New York and, and, and other places and donated work uh, to support auctions as well, which is super important. So, you know, I continue kind of with that and, and want to also continue the sort of study and, and, and work with nonprofits as, as well. But, uh, you know, my background, I went to the University Albuquerque. Of, right? Yeah, I went to the University of New Mexico and I did my undergraduate there. I actually applied to SVA and UNM. I grew up in New York City. And, uh, oh, wow. Uh, so you went out to Albuquerque? Yeah, because I was, wow. couldn't really, I, I needed a break from New York. <laughs> so uh, I ended up going to UNM and uh, had a great time there. And I studied with. Betty Hahn and Patrick Nagatani and Thomas Burrow, um, who um, kind of a generation of sort of doing work that's somewhat happening now, process and photography and, and doing staged sort of work. Also, uh, Joel Peter Whitkin was kind of always oh. around there as well. Mm. So I did that and did an exchange uh, program at Glasses School of Art and studied with Thomas Joshua Cooper mm. for a year as well. And then... Um, Finished up, came back, moved to New York, worked as a art handler for a number of years, and then uh, started working at SVA and then got my MFA here. Studied with Charles Traub, who I think has <laughs> been on the show, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, Andrew Moore and Collier Shore, and mm. so yeah. And you do, um, you, you described your work as, uh, I'm going to read from your website now. Okay. <laughs> uh, traversing the public space depicting a narrative of loss, disorder, and regeneration. I think that uh, speaks to kind of the project that I'm doing right now. Um, so I have uh, two sons, and my oldest son is on the spectrum for ASD. And uh, he and I spend a lot of time together, of course. You know, when you spend a lot of time with him, I kind of... Uh, I'm in his world and I kind of see how he moves through things and, and how he interacts with s stimulus and, and things like that. And so this latest body of work is not so much a documentation of that. It's more of thinking about his world and taking pictures kind of not so much about that, but an influence from that. So, you know, the work's all monochrome and uh, it has to do with some textures and, and, but there's a little documentation in that as well. And it's mixed together. Um, and that's been kind of a really sweet spot for a project. For and that, me. that's the one called Stimuli? That's or? correct. Yeah. Yeah. Libby, you want to fill us in on your background then? So I, as an undergrad, I actually didn't study photography. I did international studies. We didn't have photography until my senior year or so. Where was that? That was at Vassar College and I studied with Judy Lynn. She was my, she was phenomenal. One of my favorite photographers. I love photographers. her still. Love her work. <laughs> She's really, really terrific. She still teaches at Vassar. And so I took photography my senior year and I sort of always knew I wanted to do photography but there wasn't a means to to do it there. Um, but then I ended up, I did a bunch of stuff in between Vassar and going to grad school. Um, and I ended up at the ICP Bard MFA program, which is run by Nayland Blake. And it's really, you know, for me, it was the perfect program. Um, one of the things that I really took away from school was that if you want something to happen, then you just have to do it. And it's so easy to say, but to actually be given the resources and the support to do that is what I needed 
then and what I needed to see. So I think that's part of why I'm at Baxter Street now. But so, you know, while I was there, you know, it's it's an MFA in advanced photographic studies, and Nayland is actually a sculptor, and he also does photography too, but mm-hmm. I think that, it, you know, a lot of the students there, they really think about photography in, in different ways. And so my second year, I worked with one of my classmates, Michi Jagarjian, who is the president at Baxter Street, and that's how I became involved with, with the organization. She and I organized a symposium together with the support of Nayland and ICP, you know, we saw these other schools, like, you know, um, I think it was Parsons that does the photographic universe. And Mm -hmm. we thought, well, we should be doing something too. You know, why isn't ICP doing something like this? Mm So we organized this symposium. And from that, we thought the transcripts were so great. We loved the conversations. We had Moira Davey talking with Zoe Leonard and Carlos Mota speaking with Andrea Geyer. Um, Lynn Tillman was our keynote speaker, and we thought we have to keep, we have to preserve this somehow. (laughs) And so we started a publishing entity called Secretary Press from that. And that sort of was the beginning of my collaboration with Michi. Um, We started New Draft Collective, which operates as an artistic practice doing event work. Mm -hmm. And we also do Secretary Press under the umbrella of New Draft Collective. So we've sort of moved away from photography, in a sense. Um, Our last event that we did was held on a sailboat. Um, We took out about 40 passengers, and we sailed around the Hudson um, and the East River, and we did a performance piece, actually, where we had opera singers stationed on Governor's Island, and they sang out to the boat as we went by. And they just sang the simple words, hello, at one point, welcome at another point on the island, and farewell at the third point. Mm. And so we were thinking, you know, we were thinking, it was in October, so we were thinking a lot about the current socio-political climate. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I am sitting now. I mean, I still do photography, I still do video, I do, I really like video, and there are, there are a few, uh, a couple of video pieces on your website as well, LibbyPratt.com. Yes, there are a few, and I have a new video that I showed this summer that I haven't put up yet. Okay. And I sh- need to, I need to do that. And does Secretary point. Press, which is SecretaryPress.com, uh, mm-hmm. also put up those pieces that, like what you just described? So Secretary Press is, um, it's project, it's a project based publishing entity. Oh, okay. So a lot of the the stuff that we do, we don't do like sort of traditional artist books. A lot of the books we do, the ideas have taken root in the different events that we've organized. Mm-hmm. So from our first symposium that we did where we had Moira and Zoe and all these people speaking, it was called Writing as Practice. So we were looking at the different ways that writers used visual work in, as like a source of creation, um, inspiration and creativity, and also the ways that visual artists were using writing. So Zoe Leonard's I Want a President piece was very prominent in that uh, symposium. And so from that, we did the transcripts, the book of transcripts, but we also did a three-part series called Mold, where we asked three writers and three artists to respond to a single word. The first word was pedestal, the second word was ebb, and the last word, which we just published, was evening. So all of the books that Secretary Press does 
are sort of related to um, the events that we've done or have come about in a very organic way. Yes. So in a lot of ways, it sounds like your practice is involved in the way that it's mirroring what you, you're you also doing at Baxter Street, right? There's like Definitely. this idea of collaboration and organization and, uh, you know, bringing different artists together for events. And that, that's interesting yeah. how that wound up happening, right? Yeah. Thank you for pointing that <laughs> out. That's sort of what I was getting at, but yeah, I didn't yeah. quite get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we're so... We think of ourselves as two people in the studio on a day-to-day basis, Michi and myself. And then when we do these events, the the collective expands and sort of contracts according to who we're working with, whether it's with a book or at an event um, on the boat that on the boat trip that we just did, which was called Recurrent Two. We did do our performance piece with the opera singers, but we also had performances by the musician Glasser, by the musician Jorge Maron. And we had a talk with, there was a talk between Nona Faustin and Jorge Alberto Perez, and then also Lynn Lapointe, who collaborated for many years with Martha Fleming, and they did some really fabulous projects along the shoreline hmm. of, of New York. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, very collaborative. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I want, you, you hinted at it, and um, that I think that ICP Bard program maybe because it is such like a scrappy program in a way. I mean, I've been out there to the like open studios events and stuff. Mm-hmm. I assume that they, they still have that space like across from PS1 yeah. basically. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, unlike, I don't know, uh, you know, Yale and Columbia where there are these like institutions, there was this real thing with that program where you've got these studios out here in Long Island City and then you were going into the city to use the facilities as needed or whatever, mm-hmm. but that it was it really felt like the students like were bootstrapping the system at least uh, maybe 10 years ago. I'm not sure how it is uh, over there now, but that must have encouraged you to feel like, yes, we have to, if we want things to happen, we're going to make this happen. Be more resourceful. Yeah. Be resourceful and bring it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just the entire faculty in the program, they are so encouraging of you like, being experimental and I think because it's a small and still relatively new program I think the first graduating class was in 2005 there just is a tremendous support for you doing what you want to do if you have an idea and you propose it to Nayland and the other faculty David Deacher then oftentimes you can you can do it you can make it happen which is really, really terrific. I think the one I went out to, the last one I went out to, Naylan was there, like, uh, you know, DJing, and, you know, it was, yeah. like, it was definitely <laughs> like a wild atmosphere. It was nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny. We get our degree from Bard College. Right. But the right. only time I think I ever went to Bard during my two years was for the graduation ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Go up there and see yeah. the, uh, they've got that fancy building up there built by... Um, Frank Gary, yeah, oh, that Gary, Gary mm-hmm. building up there, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that opera house. So, uh, do you imagine switching gears slightly? Do you imagine that um, in the future you're thinking of helping like establish new nonprofits, or what would be your ideal like relationship now that we're thinking about nonprofits, visual arts, and photography specifically? I think where this is going for me is, I mean, I'm really interested to see how the panel. Uh, happens and the conversation that comes out of that um, I you know I thought a little bit about st- maybe doing more study of kind of 
more programs and, and more organizations. Um, you know, there's some fantastic, like I had mentioned, the uh, Bronx Documentary Center, um, sort of the program that they do up there uh, is amazing. And, uh, you know, there's these sort of small, you know, to go back to scrappy, maybe reference ICP, there's like these smaller scrappy visual photography or it's art nonprofits that are doing kind of things stuff that maybe you can't really do so much in the commercial area maybe there's um you know they're not it's not profit uh motivated so much so there's a little bit more of um independence and risk taking um and so something along the lines of trying to figure out a way to continue supporting that and being a part of that you know i said earlier when i went into the camera club their space that was up in midtown and the first time i went in there i was like this place is very cool i love this you know and uh, it's different from going into a school it's different from going to a gallery it's different from going into a museum and um those kind of places really interest me those spaces and so i want to continue as long with my own work also being connected to that so that's it's now that the fun thing is <laughs> seeing how that goes All right figuring yeah. out yeah, yeah. where it's next so, Libby, you're originally from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when did you uh, get interested in the arts? I well, probably like high school. I think really, you know, looking through like family albums was sort of the first thing for mm-hmm. me. And I remember asking for a camera for my high school graduation and getting a point and shoot and being so devastated. I was like, don't, <laughs> don't they know? <laughs> That's not the kind of camera that I want. <laughs> But then, you know, and also at Vassar, there's this tremendous art history department. And I took a class with Molly Nesbitt my senior year. I didn't take any art history until this class. It was about the avant-garde. And and then also this class with Judy Lynn, the right. black and white photography. Right. Sounds like senior year was like the transformative yeah. one. It was right? a transformative year. Right. And that's when I was kicking myself. Why didn't I do, you know, why didn't I do more art history <laughs> earlier and all this mm. stuff? And I actually, you know, after... After Vassar, I spent a couple years in in Paris, and I went to a school called Speos when I was there. Um, I don't know if you know, it's like Speos Photographic Institute. It's a private school. I met this woman, Megan Gould, who now teaches at the University of New Mexico, Mm. which is such a great program. Mm. Um, So really, it's, you know, I've been interested in in the arts for a really long time, but it, it took a while to sort of get where I am, and I think... You know, part of what I've learned about myself and being an artist is that I see everything that I do as part of my artistic practice. So whether it's doing work with New Draft Collective, with Michi, doing my own photo, video work, working at Baxter Street or teaching, I I teach... um, At at City College. Yeah, I teach a couple classes at City College. Well, now I only teach one because it's (laughs) sort of too much. Um, (laughs) But all of these different things, and I think that in some ways, maybe this is true for Lucas as well, all of these things sort of go to create sort of what I would call an artistic practice. Because I think if I, I don't know if I would be good just doing one or the other. You know, like a lot of Baxter Street can can be sort of somewhat administrative. And so it's nice for me to have that diversity in the way that I work. And I wanted to just mention I hope you haven't forgotten, Lucas, that you're on our fundraising committee. <laughs> He's on our advisory board. So, <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> Along with Please email member. me the next date. I will be there. 
Uh, now it's on record, right? <laughs> Part of his artistic practice. That's yeah. right, exactly. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. I also, you know, I work as kind of an administrator as well in the department SVA. And, and just to say, you know, there's sort of creativity involved in that. I mean, you're not making work, but um, I kind of get a sense of, you know, satisfaction when you are putting, you know, a lecture together, a place where people can get together to make work, to kind of fund that, to, to you know, organize that. I mean... You know, paperwork is never any fun, but just sort of sometimes creatively thinking how you can make things work with very little, um, mm-hmm. you know, is is, uh, is 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 important and yeah, fulfilling as well. That, satisfies yeah. that part of you that mm-hmm. needs to problem solve and uh, bring everything together. Just uh, you know, grant writing. I mean, everyone's anytime you sat down to do that, you realize that it's not it's not work you can do by rote. You know, you have to be engaged and creative about how you're trying there's to make these a, there's things a skill. happen. Yeah. They, they yeah. pay a lot of, they pay some people a lot of money to do that. <laughs> yeah. If they deliver, right? That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Did you also get your start, Lucas, in high school with photography or uh I came to the arts a little bit later. I grew up in, in Manhattan and I grew up in a household that there was just tons of arts. My uh, stepfather was a painter, was a cellist in New York Philharmonic. Um, wow. I was surrounded by it, and I didn't really pay too much attention to it. Mm. I was more into skateboarding in New York City and <laughs> having a lot of fun and having no curfew. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a bit later on. I uh, I also had a, my uh, my my father was a ship captain sailor. What? He, yeah, nice. he he was into <laughs> photography, and he got me a. Pentax K1000, so my first camera. Was he in the military or was it private? Uh, Merchant Marine and then then large kind of yachts and sailing yachts and things like that. Wow. Um, Did you get to sail around New York a lot? A little bit, mainly more Maine and Rhode Island and and all. So I was going to go in a direction of more working on boats in the sea. And I went to a Merchant Marine Academy in Maine and I was there for about a year, year and a half. And they have this training ship where you go and you go on these cruises to go uh, get sea time right and um so make we, sure it's right for you basically that's yeah. right they do that too but yeah it's just so you can get like your 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 third mate's um license when you graduate you hmm. take a test and you need a certain amount of sea time and uh so i did a lot of traveling for about two months we went all over europe and went to russia and i went to the um hermitage museum there and spent like a day there we were there in st petersburg or leningrad at the time for a week and uh i spent a couple days in the hermitage and uh i don't know something clicked it was either being on that trip and being in that museum i remember looking at specific david casper friedrich painting and that they had in the collection there and um i was like i'm doing the wrong thing (laughs) oh wow Hmm. and uh we came back to the States and I dropped out and I took some courses at SVA printing an undergraduate program, a black and white and started getting interested in photography. And then that led to, you know, university of New Mexico and from there. So I think it just, and you know, by that time it was kind of, I wasn't like 18. It was more like 23, (laughs) 24. And And that clock was ticking. No, it would never tick. That's probably the problem. I would like go to school for a while, drop out, go back, deliver sailboats, go back. It took a long time to get my degree. Do you still get it or have any interest or get any time to sail or? Uh, Not right now, but I'm in, uh, you know, discussion with my wife to get like a 19 footer little Mm. sailboat. I'd love to, but. Nice. Maybe in a couple of years. 
<laughs> Over in, right across the river in New Jersey, there's some like. Uh, whole sailing yachting clubs and yeah. things yeah, yeah i become been, a member of or right? over by out in um, the sound up out by uh, Rockaway that oh, little yeah. area in between there where you go over the bridge yep there's a marina there and they got a bunch of old boats in a uh, in a little mm-hmm. you know there and so I might have to go in there and start walking around and talk to someone. Well, I've been photographing this project along Newtown Creek for the last couple of years. And when I first started, there were like two kind of derelict looking sailboats there. And now there's, it's sort of a, an ad hoc marina right there underneath the bridge. There's, there must be 10 sailboats out there now. It's kind of mm. nuts. But uh, from my understanding is it was people who just couldn't afford to keep, after like, after 2008 and like economy crash, people couldn't afford to keep them in the Hudson anymore. So we're like giving them away for like, oh, if you come and get it, you can have it. And so they just now have been building up and there's at least 12 sailboats over there. It's kind of wild. The rent is good. (laughs) The rent is good. You just have to pay your docking fee and power and water. It's one of the few like kind of, I don't know, communal anarchist things that I, I know that's happening in, in that part of New York, right? I, I actually lived on a sailboat for a year. Wow. Also, Holy and I, I worked um, at the 79th Street Boat Basin. Well, I worked down at North Cove, and then I worked for another company, and this company, Atlantic Yachting, at the 79th Street Boat Basin. And that's a great place to keep a boat, too, because it's run by the city. So you don't have, like, the right. Chelsea crazy Chelsea Piers, crazy rent. And I know a couple people who have, I know one guy who's at Newton Creek now. Mm. I think he doesn't even pay any rent. No, no, it's, I think he's just like, like you just step up and lock up and yeah. But that, you know, it's interesting, the boating community, those people are very alternative and all the people I met sailing, they're super, you know, it's a really fascinating community because of the way that they're living and it's well, what led see, you I didn't know that you, Lucas I didn't know that you had this there, there was an article history. in the Times last week about <laughs> someone who lived there and uh, I sent the article to my wife and I said let's sell our place and <laughs> buy like a 42 footer and she didn't answer me oh <laughs> so there was n- not a no <laughs> not a no I just have to work at it for like three or four years yeah no. but Libby what led you to spend a year on the sailboat um my Aunt, Why wouldn't my, you is really the question. Yeah, my, my father's sister, my aunt, um, retired. She was a computer science, com- computer science professor mm. in Boulder, and she bought a sailboat when she was 60, a 40-foot sloop, Nordic sloop, and she sailed around the world for 12 years. So mm. one wow. of those years, I joined her, and then every vacation I could, if I could afford to get where she was, because she just was sailing around the world. Oh, she'd pull into a harbor and then give you a call and say, "Let's go." Sailing. Yeah, she was like, "I'm going to, I'm going to be in Venezuela," and so I was like, "Yeah, so am I. <laughs> I'm going to be there too." <laughs> what a coincidence! Yeah. So I didn't grow, I didn't grow up sailing like like Lucas, but I learned. I guess when I was 25, I learned how to sail, mm-hmm. and so that's. And then when I got to New York, and I had to work three or four jobs, that was one of my jobs, was working on, I worked on the Shearwater, mm. and then I worked for Atlantic Yachting on their boat, Go Lightly, so. Wow, nice. we discovered yeah. such a great connection. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot, yeah, yeah. A lot more in common, Libby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did your parents do? Um, my father was a carpenter, um, and he built custom homes in Washington State, mm-hmm. so Seattle, and then also, I went to high school on the Olympic Peninsula, which is the most northwest part yeah. of, of the U.S., of mm. the continental U.S. Right. and of Washington State. 
And my mother did a number of different things. She was also a carpenter. She was a union carpenter for many years, like nine years. Mm. I think she helped build Bill Gates's garage, oh. which is a big feat because there's, I think it's for 40 cars or something. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and she lived in China for a couple of years working for the embassy. She was a property manager. Mm. And now she does consulting for businesses um, for recycling. She went back and got her master's in sustainable business and she consults for companies on how to recycle and compost mostly in seattle in the international district hmm. so she's had many different careers i think i'm much more like my mom in that way than my dad who was really just you know Carpenter. focused on the, yeah right yeah <laughs> is he still uh, working retired he passed away nine oh, or sorry. ten years ago mm-hmm. so but he worked basically until he yeah he, until that moment end, right? yeah <laughs> and I actually I worked with him for two years doing carpentry in between undergrad and grad school so I've forgotten a lot of my carpentry <laughs> oh. skills unfortunately <laughs> but it was a good experience I, I really yeah. liked I think that's what I miss with photography is now is I really like working physically you know working with my hands mm-hmm. and doing something active and more physical and I got that every day with carpentry and with photography being in the darkroom. I loved, I loved the tactility of it. And so I miss that now, you know, being in front of the computer, right. doing Photoshop. Um, City College still has darkrooms, so hmm. I teach a black and white class there. Yeah, I got to they painted their darkroom black, like it's like black walls, unless they've repainted it since the last time I was there. It was like this huge cave. It was. It's a cave. It's terrible. It's, it's like, a cave. Yeah, gotta paint <laughs> but it's the, a darkroom. <laughs> you got to yeah. paint those walls white. You got to get them to paint those walls white. It's a huge darkroom, but it's yeah. with that black cave. It's like, oh, oh well, anyway, sorry. Um, but uh, your mom is uh, then, you said, uh, advising, consulting, and she's still out in Washington? She's still in Seattle, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Michael's going to edit out that bit where I talk about the darkroom. I can tell already. He's like, <laughs> all right, I'll just switch away from that. <laughs> well, now that you've said it and we've yeah. recorded it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why. I'm, I'm going to leave it in. I'm going to leave it out of spite. Got to keep it in. Got to keep it in. <laughs> it's a darkroom. That's what's exciting. It's yeah. There's so yeah. few... <laughs> actual you know yeah wet dark rooms still down, yeah. and that you know i like i love seeing my students you know it's a it's an intro class mm. um that's the best and i just love experience. seeing how they get so excited about making pictures and um seeing the images come up in the dark room for the first time it's like you know it's like being a kid in a candy shop so yeah right now my photo two students are working on their two exhibition prints so like their two final prints for the end of the semester you know i brought in prints to show them like going from work print that you felt really good about to going to like a really final print and Mm -hmm. this idea that you have to have the patience and you're going to put in the time and that it's there's a craft to it and you're gonna it's it is physical even and and it requires Mm -hmm. you know you engage your brain on another level to to say, oh, one second less is not going to be better because I know this image now so well that I can really, you know, make that distinction and mm-hmm. that there's there's something about it. I mean, there's that, I forget the guy, the author's name who wrote that book, uh, Shop, Shopcraft is Soulcraft, or do you know that book? I don't all? know that book. It's this idea that you're doing something physical, going back to what you were saying, Libby, that there's, you engage your body in the whole enterprise and that you're not just muscle memory, but the way that you 
the way that you make things and, and move your body as you're as you're putting stuff into it affects everything around it and it's mm-hmm. you know you're you get involved in it as a whole person as opposed to like just your brain engaging with something it's like it's another way of it's like a form of meditation or something too you're mm-hmm. you're fully engaged when you're doing things like this and something like yeah. printing in the dark room at that level when you're really trying to do it uh i think it, it answers those same questions just like being a carpenter or being a sailor or doing these things you're you're fully engaged in what you're doing at the time right mm-hmm. you really got to slow down <laughs> yeah. yeah you know i mean the sort of and and to do like you know do it well to do multiple sort of test prints to get that you know final print i mean i don't know how long your students are working on one print but you know if you're spending two or three hours or maybe a day to get that one print that's pretty impressive i think you know do you ever uh, get back into the dark room lucas i haven't and i used to really print a lot and and you know i printed at new mexico and lived there and and glasgow school of art you know uh the chair of that program uh thomas joshua cooper you know was a black and white landscape photographer and um I miss it, you know. I, I, it's more of a sort of time thing, I have to say now. But um, uh, I recently saw a film on Philip Perkis that mm. a student here from uh, SVA did, and um, it's a sweet little film. And they showed it out in Crown Heights, mm. and um, it's a lot of time is spent filming him like taking pictures, but also like working in the dark room. And then also taking the prints that are going to be going to a book and putting them on the wall and looking at them. And, and it's, um, you know, I mean, it's a way of working that uh, it was just so familiar that I don't really have the chance to do anymore that like with the 19 foot sailboat, <laughs> we'll want to do that as well. Once you get I'm that. not turning old fashioned. No way. It's all about slowing down, huh? Uh, that's right. Yeah. Sailboats are very slow. <laughs> yes. So, Olivia, if people want to be involved uh, with Baxter Street or they just want to know when to show up and what's going on, what's the best way? Well, sign up for our mailing list and make sure it doesn't go into your spam or promotions <laughs> yes. box. Add um, it to your contact list so it doesn't go into spam. Right? Yeah, or Facebook <laughs> is pretty good as well. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of different programming. Actually, today is the last day that people can apply for our workspace residency. It's free to apply. We have the guest curated exhibition program that people can apply to. And we have classes as well. Um, there's just a lot of different types of programming. Yeah. So I think just checking out our website, um, coming in, coming to things, you know, the best way to get involved is really just to be there and I think like meet people and, you know, our, we're very open and we like knowing and meeting new people all the time. So I think also if you're in a going through galleries on the Lurry side, on a Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Are you guys open We're on Sunday? Closed on Sundays, oh, actually. Saturday. Yes, Saturday. But Saturday during the week, like just even stop by and walk in. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we always have shows up and... Mm-hmm. We're happy to show you to show people the space, the workspace downstairs, and talk about different ways to get involved. So that's baxterst.org. So ba- st for street. Yep. Great. All right. Wonderful to have you guys here today. Thanks for coming oh. out. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having us come and talk. It was fun. Yeah. Good yeah. luck with the panel. 
Thank you. Great. Thank <laughs> you. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.